Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, today we have Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. And Chris is headed out on his over-the-counter Colorado elk uh, 2017 season. And we've been breaking down a bunch of different scenarios uh, with uh, you know, elk in mind and a bunch of different tactics questions and behavioral questions and, and what have you. Uh, Chris, I want to end this series uh, with a question that you've gotten in from some of your uh, members, some of your subscribers, and that is, well, it's two-part. I want to end with, I want to start with this question and then end with your equipment and what changes you've made. Um, But before we do that, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank Gohan Insider. Guys, check the show notes. They're doing a 30-day free trial of the Insider program. Kuyu Ultralight Hunting's mobile showroom is traveling all around the country, and you can um, check the show notes to find out where they're at and if they're going to be close to you, as well as the Outdoorsman's and PhoneScope. I want to thank them for their support. Uh, Chris, you had a question come in that's, um, when would you camp out on an elk or camp near an elk? And I'm not, I'm not so sure if they mean, like, if you find a big one, you know, do you actually physically camp and get close to them? Or yeah. I guess we can talk about all of that. Um, well, and, and, and I think you're right. I, I, I'm with you. I, I've had both questions, and I know you have too, you know, how far do you, you know, set camp? You know, when you, when you get back in the, you know, backcountry or if you're, you know, wherever you camp, how far, how close do you camp to the elk? And then, yeah, this person's question, I think, was geared towards, you know, if you find one that's a good bull, you know, do you camp on him? And, and if so, when would I do that? So, yeah, so my question is, uh, you know, you're going out this weekend or say, say in years past in your high country camps where you have basins and you've, you've, poked in there you see a bunch of elk like how far away you know and and how much disturbance if it's just you usually uh i would assume you can be pretty quiet and you maybe can camp closer if you've got a big group you obviously have to stay away but uh what's your answer to the question well i for me typically and i'll qualify but i typically will camp about a 30 minute hike away now, that may mean that it's up and over the next ridge. So, like my high country camp, I'll hunt one basin, but I'm actually up and over a prominent saddle. Um, so, I'm not, even, I'm not even in the same drainage as the elk that I'm looking to go after. Um, but it's only, I'm only about a 30-minute hike to put myself within striking distance of those, you know, of that basin. So, you know, in that case, I'm in a different drainage, so the thermals are completely different. Uh, I don't have to worry about my my scent screwing anything up, and, and quite honestly, even noise or light. I mean, I'm in a completely different drainage. So, but where I'm headed this year, uh, in a lower elevation area, I'm in the same valley that the elk are going to be in that I'm going to be hunting. So, again, I I will tend to hike and camp, hike in and camp well below them where when I get up in the morning, each morning, I'm making about a 30-minute trek up the bottom of the valley, or I'll climb up on the ridge and, and hike across the ridge, but I'm usually about 30 minutes away. It usually puts me about a mile. I, I try to roughly 
a mile from where the elk activity is is where I usually set my primary camp up. And I and I'm not. I you know, you kinda alluded to it guy as far as noise and light. You know, there's some people that love, love, love having a you know, camp you know, campfire and, you know, big camp I never I never have a campfire. I just I don't me personally I don't like and there's a lot of light associated to it. There's a lot of smoke and scent associated with it. And quite honestly, to be, to be brutally honest, I just, I'm one of those guys that campfire smoke usually follows me around, and I usually end up getting smoked out. I just don't like smelling like campfire smoke. But you so love I, cigarette smoke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a whole nother yeah, that's a whole nother discussion you hate so, cigarette smoke like i do oh the passion i just uh yeah so that's i mean i i will use i keep a very quiet camp uh and a very light sensitive camp now you know in the years past when kelly my wife is, is camped with me and we had a horse camp Okay, we you know maybe I hiked a, I I camped a little farther away, but we would have we we have a light you know a lantern and we'd be talking and laughing probably a mile and a half at that point away from where the bulk of the of the elk activity was, so that way it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna disturb anything it wasn't gonna mess anything up. Um, as far as whether I camp on a bull, I never have. You know, I really never. Have um, I guess the only time I probably would is if I found a giant bull a ways away from camp. I got on him the night before, and he was just parked in one single area and just wasn't moving much. At that point, maybe, maybe I typically what I'll do is just maybe do a spike camp. Um, I'll make a concerted effort to make a a separate little spike camp just to get myself inserted closer to the area that he's in. But, again, same thing. I'm usually going to try to find, you know, a, a saddle to drop over or a little ridge to drop over or, you know, I'm going to try to tuck out of the way to where my scent from camp and me being there and cooking and everything else otherwise, hopefully my scent is not going to wander around the area that he's in and, and blow the whole thing out. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I think you covered that pretty well. What is your setup this year? I know you've made some changes. Um, go through your setup and why you've made the changes, and then it'll be interesting after the season to double back with you and see if these changes that you've made, if if you're satisfied with them, or or you know if you're going to make more changes. Well, I can tell you right now, I mean, just, just from what I've seen so far, I'm, I'm really happy. Um, a lot of people, if, if, if folks who know me uh, probably know that I'm, I'm on the pro staff for PSE. So, hey, yes, full disclosure, I get a really good deal on new bows. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm not paying retail for a new bow. However, I did go ahead, and I've shot the same bow for the past number of years, and I've liked And that's the other thing, too. You'll see some some guys, uh, guys and gals that are associated with companies. I mean, every year they got something new. I, I'm usually not that way, um, 
and I've talked to PSC about it. I, I, I usually will will change setups if there's something different that that makes it makes it worthwhile. There's a reason for the change, and so this year they came up with their uh, evolved cam system and their new evolved bows, and and man, I've got that evolved thirty five, and um, oh man, it is a sweet shooting bow. It, it is a, it is a sweet shooting bow. It's probably the best bow I've ever shot in my life. It just it, everything from draw cycle to how it stops to how it holds. But I mean, it's a great bow. So that right there made a big difference on just just comfort and feel and draw and anchor and just everything was was awesome with that. The other thing that I've struggled with in the past is just the way my eyes are. I'm 45 now, and some of you that are listening know exactly what I'm about to dive into with, with my eyesight because it doesn't matter if you have corrected vision or not and you see clearly or not. When you get to about your 42 to 45, some people end up having trouble seeing their pins clearly. Now, again, I, I shoot compound and I do shoot pins. Uh, it doesn't matter if you shoot one pin or if it's got five or seven pins. It doesn't matter because even one pin, you look at one pin, now, rather than just a fuzzy single dot, you know, if I focus on the target, put the pin on the target, in the past, it used to be just a, a fuzzy single dot. Well, the problem now is if there's four of them. There's four or five separate fuzzy dots. The way my eye focuses and the way my eye perceives it, it, it creates a cluster of pins, not just one. And I've been fighting that for the past couple of years just badly. You'll hear people talk about verifiers, with a V, verifiers, in, in their peep. And that's what a verifier is for. It helps. It's a little lens that sits inside your peep sight that will help bring that pin back into clarity. The problem is it makes your pin clear, but it makes your target blurry. The other problem is, is if you're hunting in rainstorms or, or snow or anything moisture, you get a drop of water on that thing in that tiny little opening, and you're, you're done. You can't even look through it. It definitely helps with your shooting, but it really sucks for hunting. I mean, it, it just really does. Well, A, my eyes are getting are, are, are changing a little bit more, and so they've naturally kind of reduced their tendency to do so. But a lot of times, the reason why that problem with your eyesight can occur also is a result of glare that you can get through your normal peep sight, all right? And we don't even notice it happening, but you can get a little bit of light glare and light reflection off the edges and the surrounding area, you know, the, the, periphery, the, the periphery of that peep sight that can actually cause interference and and help exacerbate the problem of seeing those multiple pins. Well, Hamsky Archery, they make a peep sight now. It's called the Insight Peep System. For lack of a better way to describe it, it's like a little tube. But that little tube, so the peep sight is not a, your standard, just a round opening. It's actually a, about a half-inch long little tube. And then your aperture, your opening, whatever size opening you want for your peep, you can actually screw in different apertures. So you can have a very, very small little peep opening if you want, or you can have a very large opening if you want. You can tailor that peep system 
not only to the size of your site housing, so you've got your pin housing on your site, the best way to, to really maximize you know, efficiency and, and, and accuracy is to match your peep opening with the size of your pin housing. So the, the apertures that you can put in there, you can do that. But also, the awesome thing about this little system is it has internal baffles built into the tube, on the interior portion of the tube. And those baffles are engineered to be deep enough and wide enough to effectively eliminate, eliminate all reflection, all glare coming through and out of that peep. So it truly is this black hole. I went from struggling with seeing four pins to where now it is literally one kind of, it's just one larger fuzzy pin. I'm back now. I'm dead serious. I used to shoot 70, 80 plus yards for practice. My mule deer hunt, you know, a lot of guys have watched that on the, the YouTube, our YouTube page, our YouTube channel. That mule deer I killed back in 2011 was 60 yards, and I just pinned, I mean, I was shooting, I was shooting awesome. I mean, I just smoked him and, and had absolute utter confidence at 60 without a problem. And I went from that, and then 2012, 13, 14, 15, and 16, my eyesight just tanked, and I got worse to where last year I could barely hit a pie plate at 40. Not because I couldn't hold my bow, not because I wasn't steady, but just because the, my, the pins were so messed up that without a verifier, I, I, I just had no confidence. It sucks. If anybody's out there struggling with it, A, I feel your pain, and B, get that little Hamsky Insight peep system because it, it, it's, it's incredible what it'll do. So those two changes right then and there made... I mean, I'm, I'm back to shooting 60, 60 yards, and just, you know, if I'm doing my job, those arrows are stacking right in there, which is just awesome. That just it builds your confidence right back up. I don't, I've never killed a bull beyond 33 yards, but I like having the ability to shoot 60 if I need to. So those are two of the big ones. And then this year, um, I played around with my arrows. Seems like every 10 years, anybody that's been in archery for a long time knows, um, it seems like every 10 years is this new kick about massive front of center, you know, large percentage FOC, high front of center, where you've got a lot of weight up front of your arrow. And it does. It, it kind of goes through these fads. It kind of goes through these, you know, 10-year cycles. And I remember the last time it was, you know, early 90s. I remember going through it back then. Well, there, it, there's not that there's anything wrong with, you know, low front of center or high, heavy, heavy, heavy front of center. It's just gonna, it's just gonna do different things with your arrow. And the advocates of heavy FOC, you know, claim that you know they have better ability to penetrate and and they're they're going to be a little bit more accurate. That okay, that very that may or may not be depending on your your individual setup. But one thing that I it can definitely help is. Um, it, in my opinion, if you lean a little, no, if you look at the, the general literature, if you, if you just look up front of center, FOC, all right, the general rule of thumb is you want your percent FOC somewhere between, I think it's like seven and 
Okay, and 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 there's look it up. There's equations on how you can calculate your FOC. But if you're down in that like seven to ten percent FOC, that means your arrow is really balanced, and, and the front end of it, the front half of your arrow is not much heavier than the back half of your arrow. That can those arrows fly wonderfully, and they can just sail out there, and they I mean they they just they fly great, but if you have any foibles in your form, whether it's your torque and your grip or whether you're torquing your release and or you're punching your release, if you have any problem in your form or in your release, it can exact that it can be problematic trying to get a, a good uh, paper tune, put a you know shoot a bullet hole through paper and, and, and being consistent downrange. You, you can end up getting a lot of kick with the tail end of your arrow and your arrow doesn't stabilize as quickly. You start getting up in the you know 10 to 15 range where I kind of like to be. You get in the 10 to 15 range, I have found it, it seems my arrow tunes a lot easier. It stabilizes a lot quicker. quicker. It's a little bit more forgiving. But it still has a good traje- a good trajectory arc, and it, and the one thing that I've found for me, if you start going, if I've ever gone beyond about fifteen percent front of center, it it's fine if you're shooting ten, you know twenty, thirty, forty yards. I mean the arrows will just dive in there, but if you start stretching it, you get fifty, sixty, seventy. That pin gap starts to open up. The the arrows just dive off at the end. They're they're very very accurate but your pin gap gets more and more and more. I like a moderate, you know, and I, the arrows I built this time are sitting, I think, about 12.5% FOC. And what I'm shooting, I'm, I've got Easton Axis, or excuse me, the, the full metal jackets, the regular full metal, not that, no, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan of the deep six, the skinny shafts. I, I just like the standard uh, full metal jackets. I like the added weight of the full metal jacket. They're they're very forgiving arrow. They hit hard. I've never had a problem with them bending or get damaged or anything like that. I know some people are a little leery of them, but I love them. But I've got at the uh, the FMJ basically the three forty spine. I played around with you know there's you know if you talk you know like folks like Tim Gillingham and some of the other professional archers that are really, really good, they'll, they'll talk about the differences between three-fletch and four-fletch. And the beautiful thing about a four-fletch is you've got basically the four quarters of the circumference of your arrow that you can turn that knock and you can kind of basically find the sweet spot of your arrow on how it, you know, how it comes out of your bow and, and efficiently paper tunes. So I, I've always gone three fletch. This year I decided I was like, well, I'll play around and I'll do a four fletch. And I do personally like having a lighted knock. Um, I like the I, I, I just I do. Well, we can have a discussion about that sometime. But I like knowing really, really knowing where my arrow hits. I like being able to find my arrow. And if for some reason my arrow stays in the animal and the animal takes off down the mountain. It's, I, I like having a lighted knock for all the reasons that people like lighted knocks. I really do. However, it's your, I shoot nocturnals. They're 22 grains. So you stack 22 grains on the back end of your arrow, you're going to change the balance of your arrow. 
And then if you go four fletch, you're adding a little bit more weight to the back of your arrow. So you need to figure out what you're going to do to offset that balance on the front end. Now, you can go up and, and weight, point weight. You know, a lot of people shoot 100 grain tips. You can go up to a 125. That's fine. But since I added so much to the back of my arrow, I went ahead and I ran a brass insert. You can buy them. Easton sells them. They're a brass uh, hit insert for your Easton arrows. So, and you can, and they're built to where you can either run them as is, and it's about 75 grains, or you can snap the back end half, you know, back portion off and, and run about 50 grains. Mine are 49. Every time I snapped the end off, it was 49 grains. So I ran a brass insert in the front, and I'm shooting 125 grain uh, head. I'm, I'm shooting the Iron Will Outfitters uh, broadhead this year. So that arrow setup, man, is that thing flying sweet. I've got 12.5% FOC. They, I mean, the first shot, I, I mean, I, I basically eyeballed everything, got everything set the way I just eyeballed the, the, the rest with the string in the center, you know, getting everything lined up on my bow. And I went out there, and I mean, the first shot, boom, bullet hole, three steps, step back to about 12 steps, boom, bullet hole check the other arrows i mean they were just shooting bullet holes right out of the out of the gate and i went out to the target made about two or three side adjustment changes and i mean those things are just stacking so i yeah it that arrow setup is awesome and so and then there's the other thing that i this is for those of you that are subscribers um and that have followed me on on social media a couple of you guys have been paying attention know that I, I usually am running my rage hypodermics i love rage hypodermics for a mechanical and then all of a sudden see people see me with a iron will outfitters head this year check out iron will um they've got a great website that gives all sorts of specs on their heads but basically it's a two blade with bleeder blade style head it's only, it's only quote, you know quote, quote only an inch 16th cutting diameter they are expensive as sin. However, they're made out of A2 steel, and they got a stupidly thick main blade, and anybody knows anything about steel, A2 steel is what, if you want to cut steel, you use A2 steel to cut the other steel. So A2 steel is extremely hard, impact-resistant, and you get an edge on that thing, it, it holds that edge, and it just won't let go. So these things come, I mean, literally shave hair off your arm sharp out of the box. And I've shot my practice head probably, I've, I don't think I've made 100 shots, but I'm, I've got to be approaching 100 shots into foam. And with that particular head, I can still shave hair off my arm. Wow. So it. Yeah, it, it holds its edge. It's just incredible. The reason why I, you know, I, I had a very long talk with the guys at Iron Will because they, they anyway, we had a conversation, and the reason why I agreed to shoot the heads and, and test them out this year, I, there's no question that they work. I just tend generally prefer a a larger cutting diameter head, but there's pluses and minuses to a large cutting diameter or a more impactful head. And this is a discussion, and the reason why I, I agreed to shoot their heads this year is because I'm going to be doing a comprehensive discussion on this topic for the elk module. But one of the uh, disadvantages of a large cutting diameter head, especially like a rage hypodermic, is when that arrow hits, it hits with like a 
like a freight train. And the animal feels it. I mean, and I'm not saying animal feels it from a sense of pain. The animal feels the impact, and they react to it, and then they're going to take off running. Well, that can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on where you hit the animal and the terrain and the cover that you're in. Whereas sometimes the smaller diameter uh, broadheads or those broadheads that have a lower profile, a longer cutting length to cutting diameter, especially if they're a cut on contact, they may not put a very large hole in the animal. But they go through so quickly and so effectively and efficiently, the animal doesn't even know they've been hit. So I have literally killed elk with, I mean, pretty much every style of broad. I mean, I've killed them with rages. I've killed them with slip tricks. I've killed them with magnets. I've killed them with steel force. I've killed them. I've killed them with all sorts of styles and designs of heads. And most of them I have video of. The only style of head I don't have video of to be able to effectively talk about the, the impact and the effectiveness of it is a two-blade with bleeder blade style head. So I was like, you know what? I pro- I should. I, I I I will use the iron wheel heads this year. Be- a, they're made in America. They're the best engineered head I've ever seen with the best steel I've ever seen. They're sharper than, as far as a cut-on contact head, a non-replaceable blade head. Now, you can replace the bleeder blades, but um, typically, you know, like, say, Slick Trick or uh, it used to be Savora. Uh, now they're Rad Radical Archery Designs has them. Those blades, those replaceable blades, used to be made by a scalpel company, and I mean, you know, you can get replaceable blades that are just scary sharp. Typically, in my experience, though, if you buy a factory-made, solid, um, cut-on-contact head, they're sharp, but they're not stupid sharp. These are stupid sharp. These things are, are scary sharp. Uh, and they stay that way. So I thought, you know what? This would be an awesome op- opportunity to use this style of head uh, for this upcoming video. And so that's why I'm, I'm using that head. But I chose the 125, again, just to give myself a little bit more uh, balance in the FLC because I'm running the lighted knock and the four veins and the four flex system. But, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm back into shooting the way I used to shoot. And, again, well, that's exciting. Shooting with. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you're shooting with confidence, I mean, it, it changes the whole ball game. Last year when I went into the season, I was just like, you know, because you, you're like, okay, well, the Elks going to come in. Please, dear Lord, let it be a close one, you know? Because I, I just if he had been 50 yards, I, I would have stood there and watched him because there's no way I was ever going to take that shot. 40 yards, I was like, mm, I might not still because I just, it was just brutal. But I'm back. That's awesome. Back it sounds like back. you're going to carry some penetration with that setup, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I joked on the Instagram page. I was like, "Yeah, this this train won't stop. It ain't gonna stop." I mean, that's the thing is that with that head being a small profile, blade just blazing sharp, and then you put that much momentum and penetrate. I mean, that arrow just is not going to stop. That's which is awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Well, oh. I'm, I'm excited to. Um hear how you do this weekend and i mean what's your plan are you are you there till you kill an elk and your family kills an elk or do you have a timeline or or time you have to get back or what's your what's your program well a little bit both they have a week so this first week is a good week you know the three of us are going to hunt and that's what i told them i said listen you know yes abe he's 15 and he's got first go and first crack and tom has you know next crack and, and quite honestly both of those 
guys, they're going to shoot bulls that, if it's a legal bull, they're going to probably shoot it. Or even if it ends up being towards the end of their week and a cow comes in, they're probably going to just put one on the ground and, and get their first elk and, and fill the freezer. But I'm hunting, too. I mean, you know, Christy's not sitting on the sidelines on this one. I, You know, we're going to take turns. And so, you know, Abe will get first crack, Tom will get second crack, and then after that, it's, you know, we round robin. Every opportunity that comes in, we just, we switch. So it may be where Chris gets, you know, a chance to shoot a bull first or whatever. We'll, we'll see. But uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to lean heavy on giving, you know, letting these two guys uh, get their, get an opportunity to shoot a, a really nice bull because I still have another week after that that I can go. You know, they're going to stay here for a week and then they're going to leave. I can hang out for another week. At some point, I do need to get back to, to Kansas for a very short window of time. I've got to take possession of a piece of equipment uh, that we're going to talk about more in the future to help us do some more food plots and, and better deer management. Is that what you so call it these days? Take take uh, take uh, delivery of a piece of equipment? Is that is that what you're calling it? <laughs> it literally is. Now, whether or not I find myself sitting in a ground blind on a particular field that has a couple hundred and seventy inch whitetails from opening day of Kansas archery yeah, season. Yeah, now we we're that. talking. We, yeah. we, we won't discuss that part of it. We, we just, we'll skip over that. Yeah, but yeah. As soon as, as soon as I'm done with what I need to do in, in Kansas, uh, and again, it's just going to be a couple days, because I really do want to scramble and get back down to Arizona uh, for the for the opener archery down there about the fifteenth. And awesome, we've got we've got a mutual friend down there. He's got a couple clients, and, and the bulls are antlers are looking great down there. And there's piles of bulls. It uh, it looks like it's going to be an absolute awesome season down there. So, well, good. Well, buddy, um, I wish you the best, and uh, can't wait to follow you on instagram and see some dead bulls and uh i'll be looking forward to getting a text saying you got some elk down and uh um i don't know that i'll be on the come help me pack it out list but uh i'll be definitely i'll be definitely cheering (laughs) for you i was just gonna say now hey i i want to be able to keep your number on speed dial right you're in colorado right (laughs) yeah it'll be like who i can't Uh, i can't hear you yeah. Yep. You, you break up. Can't touch. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Nice friend. Nice. Yeah. Nice friend. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, right on. Uh, buddy. Hopefully, Th- Lord willing, it'll be a good week. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Thanks for uh, spending time with us again. To the listeners, um, check the show notes. Um, but you can sign up for Row Hunting Resources, the Elk module, for a three-month or a one-year subscription. Uh, and uh, has over 30 hours of, of video footage um, of elk doing their thing, and there's tons of information there for uh, for you guys to learn. And um, I've been a subscriber and member for years, and um, it's just a, it's an awesome resource. So knock them dead, bud. I'll uh, I'll catch you later. Okay. All right, brother. Thanks again. And uh, no, if we, if we don't talk before you head out, you're heading to Wyoming, right? Yep. Well, safe travels for you guys as well, and I'll I'll, I'll live vicariously through your Instagram page as well. All right, buddy. Sounds good. Take care. All right, bro. Thanks.